Well, good morning, everybody. We're in uh, Galatians chapter 3 this morning. If you've got your Bibles, open up. Galatians chapter 3. Reagan's sporting the Rohawk this morning. We're ready to go. That's right. That's awesome. Absolutely, it's okay that she's here. It's wonderful. That's, that's cool. I, I interpret all those as amen, so that works. I told you last week I'm going to do something uh, new this week that I've never done before, and that's teach the exact same text two weeks in a row. Um, so it's kind of different for me, but we'll try it see how it goes. You know? So we're in Galatians chapter 3. We'll start by reading the text from last week, verses 1 through 9. This is Paul writing to the Galatians. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of the faith are blessed with believing Abraham. So last week we looked at the text, we broke the text down, looked at every single word, and I did something unusual last week as well. I didn't quote any commentaries, which if you guys know me, it's like, uh, it's a compulsion for me, right? I love these guys. Uh, So this week we're going to look at what a lot of the theologians have said about this text. Uh, Galatians is, it's an easy book to write a commentary about. Right? It's fairly on the surface. Paul states exactly what he's talking about. It's not a lot of hidden meaning or symbols or things like that. Um, a guy I follow on Twitter, Jared Wilson, he's a pastor up in uh, Vermont. He says, and here's your blank if you want your first blanks. The law points its finger and the gospel gives us his hand. And, and to me that's a good summary of kind of where we're going today because... <laughs> Paul will talk about the ramifications of what happens if you want to live under the law. And just to review, the law is the Old Testament rules that God gave to Moses and all of the surrounding smaller rules associated with that. It's everything from uh, you can't eat pork to you ought to take a break on Saturdays to um, don't wear fabric that's mixed clothing type to somebody tell me another one. Um, Don't touch dead things, things, you know, because, yeah, you shouldn't touch dead things. I mean, it's just all over the map. And all these things were given for a very specific reason, and we'll talk about that in a couple weeks when we get to that part of Galatians. But the law points its finger, and the gospel comes along and says, yeah, this is about love and grace and faith and, and being a difference in our world for Jesus Christ. So we'll see the difference between those two. Now, When we started going through Galatians, I talked about who Paul was writing to and why he was writing. He's writing because people have come alongside this church that he planted in Galatia, or this group of churches actually in Galatia. Galatia was a province, kind of like a a state in America. Uh, These people came alongside, and Paul had preached to them grace, is that you are saved by grace. You are saved by faith. You are saved in things that somebody else has done, and that you have placed your faith in that. Jesus Christ came along. He met the standard for the law. He was perfect. He was the absolute, ultimate, righteous sacrifice. 
He did that for us. We trust in him, so we don't have to be perfect. It's a great, it's a win-win for us. Absolutely win-win for us. The only thing God gets out of it is us, which (laughs) I don't know how he sees that as a win, but he sees that as a win. And I am so excited that he sees that as a win. But one of the things that Paul has to deal with here is that people have crept into the Galatian churches and have taught the people that he started down the path of faith something different because he preached Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Others came alongside and said, yeah, but there's this Old Testament law. You ought to be living according to it too. All right? So here's the challenge. The challenge is, is salvation still salvation if it's Jesus plus something? And the answer is no, it's really not. It's, it's either only Jesus or it's works. Because the minute you add something to Jesus, you have a problem. Because that's totally antithetical to what Paul is teaching. So, a couple quotes here. MacArthur starts us off. He says, Defection and desertion are contemptible because they involve disloyalty and betrayal. Few things are more tragic or disappointing than a Christian who deserts the purity of the gospel for a false form of Christianity that presumes, and here's the phrase that I love, to improve on the finished work of Christ. And this is where our pride comes in so often. Because you know what we like to do with stuff? We like to mess with stuff. We like to take something that's really, really good and then, oh, I can make, I can make that just a little bit better, right? You, you know what makes a great artist a great artist? They know when to stop, right? They know when to stop fiddling with the thing that they have done and say, you know what? That's perfect, just like it is. I'll leave that alone. And God set this plan of redemption up and it was perfect, just like it was. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, we're good. We've checked the box of perfection. It's done. We just have to believe it. And we come along and we're going to go, yeah, but if we're really, really, really good, that makes it better. No, it doesn't. It breaks it. It ruins the whole thing. Does this make sense? So, so a false form of Christianity that presumes to improve on the finished work of Christ, yet that is what many believers in the Galatian churches had done or were in danger of doing because of the Judaizers. And the Judaizers is a phrase you'll see several times today. It's basically a word that means people that wanted to live under the Jewish law. They wanted to teach and they wanted others to come alongside with them and do these law-like activities. Totally antithetical to grace, on the opposite side of the spectrum to grace. So, let's look at verse 1. It says, O foolish Galatians. Now, you guys know that there are a lot of different Bible translations out there, right? Who Shouting out your Bible translation that you're using today. The ESV, the New King James. What else? The NIV, the New American Standard. New Living, New Living Translation. Anybody else? The Message. Well, there's one called the J.B. Phillips New Testament. And Phillips is uh, a little blunt. He's a little blunt. We'll put it that way. He translates this phrase. He says, Oh, you dear idiots of Galatia. I love it. He kind of misses the real root meaning of the Greek word, but the idea here is still the same. The, the meaning for this word is uh, aniotus, and it's, it's, a, it's a brain that's not in gear, right? And, and you've experienced this, right, where, where you've, you've, somebody's asked you a question and you've responded and you went, yeah, that, that made me sound really dumb because I just wasn't thinking too clearly about that. I knew the answer. I knew the answer, but I didn't say the answer because I wasn't engaged. And that's what Paul's saying here is that you guys know the answer to this. You're just not thinking this through. You know what I've taught you. You know what works. You know what's working for you right now. You're just not thinking this through. He says, Who has bewitched you? 
that you should not obey the truth. One of my favorite uh, preachers that is alive today is David Guzik. He's a pastor out in uh, Simi Valley, California. He says, It's uh, wonderful to have a soft, tender heart before God, but some people have softer heads than hearts. Their minds are too accommodating to wrong, unbiblical ideas, and they don't think things through to see if they really are true or not according to the Bible. Here's your quote for you in your blank. This is a sign of spiritual immaturity, even as a baby will stick anything in its mouth. Right? So... So in a couple weeks, and maybe it's already happened, right, uh, little Reagan will start to realize that she can pick stuff up and shove it in her mouth, right? Caleb experienced this too, right? And, and is there anything that is off limits for what a baby will put in their mouth? Uh, it, no, it can be alive, right? It can be not alive. It can be helpful. It can be harmful. It is a why you, you all probably have some... Uh, most of you being parents, exceedingly humorous stories about things that your children have managed to <clears throat> put in their mouths at times, right? It can be awful. And, and he's saying here, who has bewitched you? Remember last week I talked about who has mesmerized or hypnotized you? You've watched some shiny thing and you've gone after and you've chased something that looks really special and wonderful and it's just not Jesus, right? It's just not Jesus. So... Before whose eyes, verse, two, verse 1, continuing there, before whose eyes <clears throat> Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed, literally placarded or written. Uh, the word is the Greek word that was used for uh, making a, a sign and portraying information. Barclay says it's the Greek word uh, uh, prographene, which was used to putting up a poster, putting up a poster. And, and the idea here is that Paul, uh, we, don't, we have no idea that he was an artist or not, but he uses a very artistic word here. Paul is saying, when I was with you, I painted such a picture of the cross and what Jesus did for you. It was like I drew it on a poster and put it up for you. You know what the truth is. Remember back to those things that I painted for you. Right? And this is one of the things I love about Paul. Because Paul didn't tell Bible stories as if they were Bible stories. He told Bible stories like because they were real. You, you, you've heard me rail on this before. You hear somebody on television, you hear somebody in a Sunday school class, and they, they talk about this wonderful story, and it's so great. And it's real, guys. There was a rock that was in David's sling that thumped the giant in the head, and he fell down. And then he picked up a sword and cut his head off. It really happened. There was a time when Adam was alone in the Garden of Eden, and he realized his aloneness, and God fixed it. And all the men said... Amen. Yes. There was a time when Elijah is sitting next to a brook and ravens, imagine this, bring him food. It's crazy, but it happened. It's real. And Paul is saying, I painted you a picture of all of these things, of this account of Jesus Christ. Remember what I have taught you. So it's putting up a poster. Verse 2, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Or by the hearing of faith. Now, J. Vernon McGee. Now, we need to be very careful here. I, I, cannot, I cannot read him without doing the voice in my head. I am so sorry. We need to be very careful here. The gospel is true irrespective of experience. What experience does is corroborate the gospel. Experience is not to be discounted, but it must be tested by truth. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, Luther sums up. This wonderfully, he says, there is no middle way between the two. 
everything that is not the Holy Spirit or believing what is preached is the law. So uh, Luther's commentary, I, I should have brought it with me. He's got, uh, he wrote about 75 pages on Galatians chapter 3. He had some time on his hands, right? 75 pages on this one chapter. I mean, it's a tremendous amount of work. <clears throat> about five of those are dedicated to just telling all the stories in Acts where the Holy Spirit's poured out. And not once does it happen after somebody steps up and preaches the law. Right? Did you hear Peter stand up on the day of Pentecost and say, keep the law, keep the law, keep the law, and 3,000 people got saved? No, it's not what happened. He preached Jesus Christ crucified and raised from the dead, and 3,000 people got saved. Right? And over and over and over... The Spirit comes through the preaching of the gospel. And Paul is saying, which one did you get? Which one was your experience? Was your experience the Spirit? Was it being made by what you did, being perfected in the flesh? So verse 3, are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? Uh, Justin, where'd they go? Oh, well, that's a bummer. I was going to ask him a question. All right. He sent me a quote by Tim Keller. He said, Saving faith is faith in God's provision, not our performance. And I like that. Because if it was up to me, yeah, it's not going to go well. We were just talking about ACT scores here a little bit ago, right? And uh, their daughter has recently taken an ACT. It's a test you take in high school to see, you know, which college do you get to go to, right? And... uh, and your performance on that test can dictate a great many things. It's just the reality of the world we live in. And I am so glad that my performance in life does not dictate my afterlife. Because <laughs> I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. It's not going to work too well. Uh, MacArthur says the Holy Spirit is not the goal of the Christian life, but is the source. Which is a pretty good little quote, I think. Um, he, he's saying here that we can't be deceived into thinking that we are producing holiness. That's the Spirit's job. Uh, verse 4, have you suffered so many things in vain? And I didn't talk about this last week because I really wanted to talk about it this week. Um, when, when New Testament believers became New Testament believers, uh, paganism and, and false idolatry and the worship of gods in temples was rampant in Rome at this time, in Galatians and Rome. And uh, it's in the Roman Empire. Uh, and the idea was when you became a Christian, you turned your back on all of those things. And you literally left those things. And so I'm, I'm going to walk over here. So when you left those things, if your family didn't leave those things, you left your family many times. Many times they would kick you out. And Paul is saying, so read this first from this perspective. Have you suffered? Did you get kicked out of your house for nothing? If indeed it was for nothing? He's calling them back to remember, are, are you going to put your relationship with your family, is it worth works because of your actions, your righteousness? God forbid that. God help us to love the gospel that saved us and live in the light of the gospel that saves us, you know. So verse 5, <clears throat> so Paul changes his perspective. Now he's, he's going to stop talking about the Galatians experience and now he's going to talk about the scriptural examples in the Bible. Verse 5, he says, Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? 
Darla sent me this uh, wonderful quote this last week by Warren Wiersbe. He said, when a child of God is born into God's family, he has all, that's your blank, he has all that he needs spiritually. Nothing need be added. All that is necessary is that the child have food, exercise, and cleansing that he might grow into maturity. It would be strange if natural parents had to take a child to the doctor at one month to receive ears, at two months to receive toes, and so on. Right? If you got your baby, and you know what? Yep, we've got to go get it attached today. It's like you've seen the movie, uh, what is it, Robots? Is that the movie? Where the upgrades come in the mail? It's like, okay, now I get to be a teenager. Oh, it's pink. Great. Dang it. But I'm a boy. I've got to wear that. You, you've not seen Robots? Oh, really? It's a great little movie. It's hilarious. And, and the idea is that you have, to, you have to wait on growing because something's got to be delivered to you. And that is completely and totally the opposite of what God is teaching in the New Testament. Because the Holy Spirit, you get him when? When you get the Holy Spirit? When you get saved? What, is it like five minutes after or two minutes after or when you get the Holy Spirit? When? When? Immediately. You know why? Because he's the protector. He's the securer. He's the, the envelope that seals this whole thing together and keeps us until the day of redemption. So if we don't get it immediately, then there's a period of time where we're not safe in Christ. And that just sounds ridiculous to say, doesn't it? I'm not safe in Christ. Christ can't keep me. Yes, of course he can keep me. So we're in the Father's hands. Jesus Christ, we're his, and the Holy Spirit wraps around all of that somehow to package it up so that we're safe. It's a great, great, great thing. So... We don't have to work to get additional gifts. There's not extra things that come supernaturally after we get saved. We get it all right then, right then, right then. So I don't know what day you got saved. You got the Holy Spirit that day, that moment. Not ten minutes later, not two years later. You didn't have to pray really hard for it. You didn't have to speak in tongues for it. You didn't have to, you didn't have to be, ba- thank you. You didn't have to be baptized for it. Um, you didn't have to know somebody. They didn't have to lay hands on it. It's just you get it right then. It's very, very straightforward. So he switches gears, and now he's going to talk about Abraham. And here's the tricky part about Abraham is that the Judaizers at this time used Abraham to prove their point because they would say, look, Abraham kept part of the law 400 years before the law was even given. He was circumcised. Right, And so he, he dives right into Abraham. He says, verse 6, just as Abraham. And you've got to admit, if, if, you're the, if you're the Galatians listening to this logical argument, because Paul is very logical in the way he lays out his arguments. If you're the Galatians listening to this argument and he starts talking about Abraham, you're going, where's he going with this? I wouldn't bring up that example. That example proves our point. So just as Abraham, quote, believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Does anybody have a... Uh, a note in your Bible there that's referencing some Old Testament passage? What's it referencing? Genesis, 15, Genesis what? 15-6. Got validation? Yes? Are we confirmed? Yes. All right, good. Sorry, I watched some movie this weekend and had nuclear launch codes. It was like, are we confirmed? Yes. Double confirmed? Yes. Launch the missiles. So, Squirrel moment there. Um, so what did Abraham do for righteousness? What did he do? He be- no, no, no. I didn't say what did he, be- what did he think. What did he do? Oh, come on. 
Are you telling me God's going to give him a relationship with the creator of the universe, protection for all of eternity, and heaven as a home when he dies for nothing? That's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. But it's true. This, this is why it's hard to believe. Because it seems like we should have to do something for this thing, right? I mean, the greatest gift in the entire universe, and we don't have to do anything for it? It just feels wrong. It feels like God's getting shortchanged here. He's okay with that. That's the amazing thing. So, there was only one problem, though, for the Judaizers using Abraham as an example. Here's your blank. God counted Abraham's faith as righteousness years before he was circumcised. Ooh, the timeline doesn't work. Yeah. You got to hate it when your Bible history proves your theology wrong. J. Vernon McGee said, It cannot be said that Abraham was justified by the law because the Mosaic law was not given until 400 years after Abraham. It's kind of tough. MacArthur says, Circumcision was only a mark not the means of salvation. So what would be a, an outward sign of our inward relationship now? Hey, baptism. So does baptism save, right? It does, right? Because you have to be baptized to be saved, right? You don't? Well, Jesus was baptized. Yeah. <laughs> Get a little problem there, right? Yeah, if you ever want a good theological conversation with your kids... Uh, ask them, when was Jesus saved? Yeah, that's a fun one. And, and don't, so don't let that sidetrack you for the rest of the, rest of the lesson because it could sidetrack you for like weeks if you worry about that too much. So it's this outward symbol. Uh, McGee says, Circumcision was the badge and evidence of Abraham's faith just as baptism is the badge and evidence of a believer's faith today. Uh, now, <clears throat> I'm going to get really, really technical for just a second. Guzik. We should be careful to say that Abraham's faith did not make him righteous. Abraham's God made him righteous. Abraham's faith was counted by God for righteousness. All right? So I want to be really careful because if you say, my faith saves me, kind of, all right? My faith, God views that. Remember last week we talked about taking an inventory, and God looks at his inventory list and says, Faith, yep, check, I'm counting that for righteous. Now you're righteous. All right. So God does the saving. We do the faith part. Does this make sense? I want to be really careful that we don't get into a works salvation when talking about faith. Because there are people that believe that my faith, my action, is all that saves me. Uh, no, that's what God's part. God counts that for righteousness. So I want to be really clear on that. So Luther's got a great quote. He says, Faith says to God, I believe what you say. If, if you look back in that uh, Genesis 15 uh, text, you know, God and Abraham are having this conversation and... Um, God makes several statements, and Abraham basically says, I agree. And then God makes this statement that he counted it, his, his faith as righteousness. And you go, well, what did Abraham agree in? The promise of a thing to come. So I need uh, two volunteers real quick. So Miss Anna, always, yes, come on up. 
And anybody else? Yes. All right. Thank you very much. Okay. So who would like to play, play Jesus? You want to play Jesus? All right. You got to stand right here in the middle. Would you like to be uh, yourself or Abraham? I'll be Abraham. You'll be Abraham. All right. So Abraham needs to be on that side from y'all's perspective. I have to do everything backwards so it looks right to you guys. You know, it's very awkward at times. So Jesus is in the middle, and this is a timeline of events. All right, so Abraham was looking forward to Jesus, to an unnamed Messiah that would someday be the sacrifice that God was describing to him in all these things, kill a goat back here, right? So we did all this murdering of animals because it's picturing the perfect sacrifice that is going to come. So Abraham is looking forward to Jesus. So we... Let's get our timeline about right. That's about, yep, about right here. Okay. It's got to be scaled appropriately. I mean, come on, guys. I'm a math guy, all right? So we are looking backward to Jesus saying, I place faith in the thing that has already happened. So raise your hand for me. Not Jesus. Raise your hand for me. Who has faith in this scenario for salvation? Both of us do. What's our faith in? the finished work of the Messiah. Did you know all the details of the Messiah? No. And that's what's beautiful. Right? We know his name. We know when he lived. We know people that he talked to. We know what he said. We know where he walked. And we have trouble believing. Abraham had a promise. He had a God he'd never had a conversation with before telling him, I'm going to have you be the father of many nations. And in you, the nations of the whole world will be blessed. And he believed in something that he had never seen. Claiming the promise of the thing to come. Does Hebrews make more sense now? Yes, because he's looking forward to the faith. And we're looking... So here's the cool thing. You've got to move now, Jesus, okay? Because Jesus can be at two places at one time. It's not a problem. He made times. No big deal. So we look backward for the finished work of Christ. Come on. Come on, come on. Stay where you are, Abraham. No, you're not Abraham. You're Jesus. There you go. <laughs> and we look forward to when Jesus will come back. See, the, Christ, the Christian life is this amazingly wonderful thing because we look backward to remember what has been done. We look forward because this is where our hope is. This is where our hope is, guys. Because if we have to stay in the brokenness of now forever, I'm out. Okay? I'm not interested in staying here now. Can anybody say amen to that? Amen. I want that. Dave, can she move a little closer? Yes. I don't know where this distance is. I should have been walking back and forth the whole time, right? I don't know when this is. Thank you very much, Jesus. Thank you, Abraham. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I don't know what the scale is, right? It should be a floating scale or something. So, um, Yeah, so this is just, this is faith says to God, I believe what you say. Verse 7, therefore know, this is the command, that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Now, Judaizers were extremely focused on the fact that we have a physical heritage to Abraham. He is our great, 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 dot, 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 great grandfather, right? And, and we are connected to him 
by flesh. So we are sons of Abraham. And Paul says, only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. So Ironside's take on this. Those born of Abraham's lineage after the flesh are not really Abraham's sons unless born... Anybody want to guess what the blank is? Again, yeah. You can be a Jew and not a son of Abraham. And simultaneously a son of Abraham. (laughs) I love the the seeming paradoxes in the Bible. You know, it's awesome stuff. Uh, Guzik says, At that time some Jewish rabbis taught that Abraham stood at the gates of hell just to make sure that none of his descendants accidentally slipped by. It's the same as today when people believe that God accepts them because they come from a Christian family. God is a father, not a grandfather. Everyone must have their own faith in him. This was the Great Awakening. You've you've heard me talk about this before. The, The whole concept behind the Great Awakening 100 plus years ago in America was that you have to have God as your father. Your parents' faith or your grandparents' faith or your parents' church membership or your grandparents' church membership does not count for you. You have to make a choice about Jesus. You have to decide. Every individual must go through this. This is part of being a human being. Verse 8, And the Scripture, this is a little personification here, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Now, there are people among us today who are Judaizers that would not call themselves Judaizers. They would say, I teach salvation by grace through faith. And yet they add rules and laws around it. Jared Wilson's got a great quote on this. He says, I know what Portuguese is, but I don't know Portuguese. Similarly, you can know what grace is and even say some grace words, but not be fluent. Right? You can know what this thing is, but not know that thing. You can know who God is, but not know God. There's a big Big difference. So last week, just to review from last week, salvation by works ends with, anybody remember? So glad I taught a lesson. Ends with legalism. This is why you review. Salvation with works ends with legalism. Because if it's about the rules, we're going to end up with the rules. Salvation by faith and grace ends with liberty and love. I cannot wait until we get to chapters 5 and 6. That's where the liberty kicks in. That's where we get to find out What does liberty actually look like? It looks like bacon on Saturdays. That's what it looks like. So we'll end with a quote from Luther. (laughs) I've got a great picture on that too. Here's Luther's quote. To put righteousness in the law then is nothing but fighting against the gospel. Moses with his law requires us to work and give. The gospel, on the other hand, gives freely and requires of us nothing but to hold out our hands and to take what is offered. It is so much simpler, but it is completely antithetical to what our human nature feels like is right. Because we feel like we have to work for this thing. It's already been done. God does the working part. We do the accepting part. So what's the point, Jim? All right. Number one, some will believe false doctrine. They will. Some people will believe false doctrine. So what do I do with that? Don't give up on believers with false doctrine. 
Paul could have written the letter and said, you are all going to hell, love Paul. He didn't, right? He wrote a letter that they loved enough to pass around and make copies of. When you care about somebody, you will write them a letter. And they will keep that thing. Do any of you have a letter that someone has written you, like a handwritten letter that you have kept that is special to you? I have a whole drawer of them. I I taught for many years, kids. And they'd write little notes. Thank you, Mr. Jim. Thank you, Mr. Fleming. You're awesome. Blah, 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 blah. Like, I have bad days, and I need those notes. I need those notes to remind me that, you know what? We've made a difference here. I'm going to keep going. This is important. And that's what these letters, these epistles were. Number two, false doctrine will make us sick. He called them foolish. Phillips called them idiots. That's bad, right? Well, regularly review and affirm the gospel. Number three, discernment is critical. I have to know whether it just looks like works or whether it is works because that line is blurry sometimes. That line is real blurry. Because when we get into Christian liberty in a couple of weeks, because we like nice, neat little lines, I mean, we build our buildings this way. Look at the floor. Everything is a perfect 90-degree angle. Look at the ceiling. Everything is a perfect... The walls, well, mostly 90-degree angles. Um, everything's clean and straight, and, and that's, that's cherished and valued. But liberty? Liberty's kind of fuzzy around the edges. And, and love, love gets messy. Oh, man, love gets messy. And, and it hurts at times, and you think, well, it ought all to be right. Mm. Have you read the Bible? There's a lot of mess in the Bible, right? So discernment is critical. And know why I believe what I believe. And number four, Father Abraham has many sons. We are not going to sing. <laughs> and believe in Jesus to be one of them. It's not about putting your right hand in and your left foot and all that stuff and spinning around and... I couldn't remember the words, so. Yeah, and sit down. You've got to sit down at the end, right? Yeah, he has many, many sons, and not all of them are Jews, and I am glad because of it. So uh, that's Galatians 3, 1 through 9. I'm glad that the Jews that are believers are believers, yes. I can be woefully misinterpreted. Thank you for your eyebrows going up there. Um, but uh, next week, the uh, law brings a curse and the changeless promise, Galatians three ten through 18. So that's your homework, and uh, thanks for coming to Sunday School.